0: any of you have ever had your house appraised before? Raise up your hand. Now, when you have an appraisal done, it's kind of an interesting process. There's a guy that shows up to your house. You don't know who this person is, typically. He shows up with a camera to begin taking photographs of your property. If you've ever been home when the appraiser showed up, you kind of find yourself in a position where you want to explain some things. (laughs) Anybody? Like, okay, well, that fence over there, that, that fell down and, you know... In 1998, it was a strong wind, and I haven't quite got to that yet. Oh, please don't open the door to that bedroom. That child never makes their bed. They haven't washed clothes in three and a half years. I don't even know what's living in that room. You know, please. So the appraiser goes through your house and takes photos of your backyard. And usually there's something at stake. What's at stake when an appraiser comes to your house? It's a loan. (laughs) Maybe you want to refinance your house and that kind of thing. Or maybe you're going to sell your house. And the appraiser's singular job is to report back to some financial institution the value of your property. Now, he does take other data into uh, account. He takes comps in the area, similar properties to yours, size and location and all of that. And he comes up with a report. And ultimately, his job is to appraise the value of your property. And if he appraised it at the amount that you needed, you're good to go. But if the appraisal comes in low, (laughs) you're in trouble. That's what appraisers do. Well, this section is about making proper appraisals. As a Christian, you can now appraise life. You can now assess value where God says it really matters. And as a believer, that's what God is doing in your life and my life. He wants you to see beauty and value where it really matters, in his eyes. He wants you to read his report about life. He wants you to be on the same page about how he values people and love and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. He wants you to see that the things that he finds beautiful, he wants you to find beautiful. The things that He wants you to fight for, He wants you to fight for because they're valuable to Him. So there's a beautiful adventure as a Christian of getting to know God's heart. Once you're born again of the Holy Spirit, that's a wonderful reality. God comes into your life. He forgives your sin. You're born again to a living hope. But being born again is just the beginning. Amen? Then you get to grow. And God begins to show you things through His eyes. So many beautiful and wonderful things that he shows all of us. You see, the appraiser's job is to assess value. How do you think someone becomes a good appraiser? Probably time and experience and some expertise, and this is going to take time for each of us. We are going to learn from mistakes. We're going to learn from doing things the wrong way, and hopefully we can begin to put value where value really matters. We were up at the men's retreat um, a few weeks back, And it just was on my heart to say to the guys, you know, you only have so much time to love your wife. If you're married this morning, you only have so much time to love her well. What are you doing to love her well? How many days do you let just slip by you? Now, if you're not married, it may be somebody else that God's calling you to love well. But we so easily take things that are valuable for granted. So we need to be able to appraise the most important things in life through God's eyes. And the Holy Spirit is the ultimate appraiser, if you will, to show us how this works. Notice in 1 Corinthians 2 verse four, Paul has been contrasting the world's wisdom, or the world's spirit, sometimes called the zeitgeist of the world, the spirit of the world. When he says in verse four, of 1 Corinthians 2, "My message and my preaching were not in persuasive, words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith, 1 Corinthians 2.5, should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so Paul's been contrasting the world's philosophical wisdom, if you will, with God's wisdom. Blaise Pascal, the great 17th century mathematician and philosopher, was a man who was seeking God, One evening he had an overwhelming experience with the living God and he wrote these words. Quote, I have met the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, not of the philosophers. There's a time when each of us, hopefully we can mark the day, some of you grew up in the church, when you could say, I met the living God. It was beyond just head knowledge of God. It became relational. And that's really what we're talking about. You can know things about somebody but not know them. You can know facts about a person but not know them. I know things about our president but I've never met him before. I know things about our governor in California. I've never met him before. You can have facts without a relationship, and that is true in your uh, journey through this life with God. You can be a church member, you can have data. But you may not know God. And so many of the the Greeks and those who lived in Rome and so forth could say they had a knowledge of the spiritual. You may run into people at your work or at school who say, I'm a spiritual person. They're not atheists. But the question is, do you know the living God? Is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, showing what he really values? And so Paul says, yet we do speak wisdom. It's not that we don't among those who are mature, a wisdom however that is not verse 6 of this age or this world, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. They are katargeo in Greek. They are coming to nothing. Literally the word is they are rendered completely ineffective. They are null and void. Think of all the leaders who lived in the time of the Apostle Paul. Think about the fact that they lived and died, the Herods, the Pontius Pilates of the day, the religious Jewish leadership, the Roman Senate and governors, men who seemed to have so much power are now dead. They're gone and God blows them away. You see, we live in a segment of time, and back in those times, people who lived in that day might say, wow, that's impressive, that's incredible, the Colosseum, these buildings, this temple to this God or goddess, so majestic, so much money, so much ornate design, but in the end, what's there now? Ruins, if you're lucky, to find them. You see, they've become completely ineffective. They are null and void. God raises up one and he puts down another. God's wisdom is not temporal, it's not just philosophical, although God, ultimately, you could say philosophy and learning can lead you to the living God because he is the God of truth. But God's wisdom is eternal. And so Paul says, but this is a strong, what's called a strong adversative. It's a It's a strong, uh, like, no, NIV. No, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages. If you have an NIV, it says, before time began, to our glory. God had a plan before time began. By the way, Jesus was there before time began. In the beginning was the Word. Now, you could render that before the beginning began because the beginning is an allusion to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. If you're there in the beginning or before the beginning began, then there's only one option. You're the beginner. And before time began, God had a plan, this is amazing, that included me and included you. He wanted you to know his wisdom. He wanted you to know his glory. And so he imparts wisdom to people who are hungry for it. The wisdom that is found here is what God is all about. This is from Ray Stedman. What your life really means That cannot be discovered by man's wisdom or natural processes. It takes revelation. You cannot learn the hidden wisdom of God in school from watching TV or scrolling through social media. We cannot learn it from the news, from history, or by contemplating our navel in the lotus position. (laughs) And going, home, home. What you may find there is that you have a little extra lint in your navel, and that's about it. The hidden wisdom of God can can and is only revealed by the Holy Spirit and by understanding His Word. In other words, the deep things of God can only be revealed by God Himself. Do you want to know them? Do you know how many people in our country have multiple Bibles on their shelves collecting dust? They don't bother to read the Scriptures, so they don't know the mind of God and they don't know the heart of God. The Bible was at the center of the early Years of American history. Now, kids have to rally together on bring your Bible to school day just to get there with their Bibles. There have been children who have had their Bibles on their desk in public schools and been asked to put it away or had it confiscated because it's such a dangerous book. Right? That's where we live today, folks. But the wisdom of God is found in the Word of God, and that's why the devil tries to keep you away from your Bible. It's a sacred secret, the wisdom of God. It's musterion in the Greek. It's a truth hidden in past ages, but now revealed, and it was revealed namely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the living Word, if you will. In times past, God spoke through the prophets in many portions in many ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. Jesus is God's final revelation. If you want to know who God is, you want to know what God is like, you want to know God's heart, you want to know God's truth, you want to know God's justice, read the Gospels. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's an amazing record of the beauty and grandeur of who God is. One writer says, God's secret purpose of mercy has been revealed in the gospel. God has broken the silence and he has spoken. It was foreordained before the ages to our glory. Redemption is a forethought, not an afterthought. Before the world was, before man was made, before all time, the thought of God was upon sinners like you and me precisely on you and me. He had a purpose, and the purpose was to save us. Follow the broad river of salvation back to the cross of Christ, back through all the stages of its development, and you come to the last spring of infinite love in the heart of God. It was foreordained unto our glory. Here are the first and last links of the golden chain of redemption. Glory is the final completion of salvation. It is the full-blown flower of grace. But not everybody sees it. In verse 8, it says, the wisdom, this wisdom of God, which none of the rulers of this age, verse 8, has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says this wisdom goes all the way back before time began. But in time, when Jesus came in the fullness of time, to his own, many of his own would not receive him. They not only rejected him, even with miracles right in their face, but they crucified the Lord of glory. Would they have crucified him if they really knew who he was? Hmm. Interesting point, isn't it? Because I think some of them knew who he was, but they were too concerned about their positions and their nation. And what really got them to the point to crucify Jesus is one word. Here's the word. Unbelief. Unbelief will get you to do some stupid things in your life. If you wallow in unbelief, you will do silly things. The Apostle Paul knows firsthand, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. How many of you can say, man, I did so many things in ignorance of God his will and his ways. If you asked me years ago before I became a Christian, I could give you my opinion about God. This is what I think God is like, right? One time I remember I was having a debate with a family member, and I was, um, I think I was either a brand new Christian or it was just before I got saved, and I said, Well, I don't, I don't really believe there's a devil. I, I, just, I just believe in God. And it's like, Well, hello, where'd you get that idea? The Bible. Tells, that, tells us that there's a literal devil and, and this is back at the beginning of the Bible when we fell into sin. Well, I just, I just don't think there's one. And that's my view. <laughs> Based upon what? I, I don't know. I heard somebody say it uh, one time uh, over here on this program. You see, that's just nonsense. That's uninformed. Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, sometimes it's not that we perhaps have malice toward God; it's just that we just don't understand who He is. Look at uh, turn to the Book of Acts, just a few pages back. Go to Acts chapter three. So here's Peter. Peter is preaching after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the middle of Jerusalem, and uh, a man has just been healed. And so here's the sermon. This is Acts three. Look at verse twelve. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Acts three twelve. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why do you gaze at us, as if by our own par- power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Acts three thirteen, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate, whom he decided to release. When he decided to release him, verse 14. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. That was Barabbas. But put to death the prince of life. If you have an NIV, it's the author of life. The word is archagos in Greek. It's, the word arche in Greek is source. Jesus is the source of life. Arche is the beginning of a word in our language called architect. Jesus is the designer of life. He's the prince of life. He's the author of life. He's the architect of life. He is the origin of life. And ironically, the religious leaders, in concert with Rome, killed him. And on the basis of faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, the author of life, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. Even though Jesus had died and been resurrected, he was still very much alive. Whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given, this, given him uh, this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Peter says, Repent, therefore, and return. Change your mind, that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. He's the Lord of glory. I know you acted ignorantly in unbelief. Have you ever had a moment as a Christian, turn back to 1 Corinthians, where you reflected back on maybe your days as a non-Christian, you reflected back on the damage that you did in ignorance and unbelief? Sometimes it's hard to take. I have moments when I, when I think back to things that I know I'm forgiven for those things, but I still have deep regrets where I didn't place value where God did. I let my own comfort, my own convenience, the arguments of the world persuade me to do things that today I would consider devastating and flat out, I would say, no less than abominable. But I was ignorant. I was not a believer. I did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I only could see life through human wisdom. And human wisdom can only take you so far. Have you taken a look lately? At how far human wisdom actually gets us? We're having the same arguments we've been having since the beginning of time. Since Cain and Abel. (laughs) I'm mad at my brother. Right? This is where we are. And many, sadly, because they don't have this illumination from the Spirit, continue to walk only in the wisdom of the world. Notice, they crucified the Lord of glory back in our text. They wouldn't have done this had they understood who he really was. Can you imagine if someone there giving the benefit of the doubt really knew that Jesus was God in human flesh? do you think they would have put him on a cross? What if God walked among us today? What would your reaction to him be? If you really knew who he was, wouldn't you want to spend every waking ounce of time with him? Have you ever been in one of those classes where they ask you, hey, if you could live in any time of history, what time would you like to live? For me, I'd like to go back to the time of Jesus. I just would like to hear one sermon. I'd like to see if I could touch him, right? I'd like to watch his power just in one miracle. Can you imagine? Lazarus, come forth. Woo, baby. Can you imagine today how many people have their cell phone cameras out? (laughs) Whoa, dude. Would you notice that Jesus is called the Lord of Glory at the end of verse 8? There are many, many scholars believe that that title, Lord of Glory, is the strongest title that Paul gives Christ in the New Testament. Because this is going to sound familiar to many of you. Psalm 24, 7 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Lord of glory. God said in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, I will not share my glory, remember, with another. I won't give my glory to graven images. I won't give my glory to another. But Jesus is called the Lord of glory a strong deity passage. Mark it Mark it for your friends who don't believe Jesus is God. When you have a debate with someone who just can't see it or has been indoctrinated that Jesus can't be God, no, He is the Lord of glory. Look at verse 9. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and ear has not heard, and which is, have not entered into the heart or mind of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. You see in your Bible where it says, just as it is written, you might ask the question, well, where is it written? Let me take you there. It's Isaiah 64. Scholars call this a free quotation. Take a peek. Isaiah 64. Look at verse 1. This uh, verse in 1 Corinthians 2.9 is uh, taken a free quotation from Isaiah 64.4, but I want you to see the beauty of this passage. It's amazing. And it's become the cry of many hearts. Isaiah 64:4, 64.1, we'll start at. 64.1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. 64.1. That the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil. To make your name known, 64.2, to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old, now here's what Paul is quoting most believe, they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. If you have uh, from the Numerican Standard, I read the updated. But this is the new American standard. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence. Some of you, you know, you, you watch the world, you go through a season of life, and you just say, Maranatha, oh, Lord, just come now. The world's a disaster. We're going to hell in a handbasket Oh, that you would come down. That was the cry of Isaiah. 700 years before heaven came down to earth. Do you know that Jesus was the answer to Isaiah's prayer? Do you know that his prayer was answered? Oh, that you would come down. Oh, he came down on a Bethlehem night, did he not? Heaven came down. And John would say, we beheld his glory he's the lord of glory the lord who made everything came down incredibly as a baby in bethlehem can you imagine being at a family function passing the baby around careful don't drop him he's the lord of glory how many of you if you got a chance to hold him would never want to let go how many of you could imagine looking into his eyes when he was just a baby you know how baby's eyes are? <laughs> Ooh, you just babies make you want to make silly noises <laughs> and facial expressions. And <laughs> you know? Can you imagine Simeon in the courtyard? Some of the, the family members, can you imagine Mary's heart? She treasured all these things in her heart. Can you imagine how many times she probably just had a staring contest with baby Jesus the Lord of glory. I don't know if she knew it all, but man, it's amazing. Oh, that heaven would come down, that you would rend the heavens. Well, there were people who, back in 1 Corinthians 2, who couldn't hear and couldn't see. It's not that they could not. It's that they would not, precisely. Jesus said, you how often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Stephen gives an incredible sermon to the Sanhedrin and he says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Look, it's possible to resist. I know there's some who believe that In irresistible grace, it's part of their theological construct, but I'll tell you this, I see a lot of places in Scripture where people just flat out resisted in the face of overwhelming evidence. Even after Lazarus was raised from the dead, the bulk of the religious leadership would not trust in Jesus as the Messiah. What more do you need than a guy being dead four days and living again? But some would not believe. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. I proceeded forth. I've come from God. I've not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand why I'm saying John 8, 42 and 43? It's because you cannot hear my word. And so Jesus came and he lived. And he showed us the way the face of grace The story is told of a man who appeared at heaven's gate. He was met there by an angel who told him it will take a thousand points to get in. This is not theologically correct, by the way. Tell me about yourself so that I will know how many points I can give you. Well, the man smiled and said, well, I've been going to church almost every Sunday all my life. Excellent, the angel said. That will give you three points. What else do you have? (laughs) The man was shocked. Only three points, he gasped. Well, I was a Sunday school superintendent for a while. I tithed. I tried to be good to my neighbor. Very good, very good, the angel said. That will give you 10 points. The man gasped again. At this rate, he said, I'll never get in except by the grace of God. (laughs) Precisely. Precisely. For to us, 1 Corinthians 2.10, not to... Learned philosophers, if you will, but humble believers. God revealed them the wisdom of God, the power of God, through the Spirit. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. By the way, this is a strong a deity verse for the deity of the Holy Spirit. Because he knows the thoughts of God, so he must be God. Have you ever had a moment where you were grateful that somebody didn't know your thoughts? Well, that was a pretty quiet response. (laughs) Right now you're like, I hope hope people don't know what I'm thinking right now. (laughs) Have you ever been in a conversation with someone And just a thought came out of left field and you're like, whoa! What? Help me, Lord! Right? And have you ever had a moment where you're like, I'm so grateful people don't know what I'm thinking all the time. Because if people knew what I was thinking all the time, people would think I'm crazy. (laughs) But then other people are thinking weird thoughts all the time too. And if people's thoughts were announced for a day in captions above their head or something like that, everybody would hate each other and think terrible things about each other. And the terrible things you thought, once you saw somebody else's thoughts, would show up in that box above your head and then they would know, oh, it's just a slippery slope. (laughs) See, nobody knows the thoughts of a man except that person but do you know that jesus knew what people were thinking when he was on the earth <laughs> the bible says he knew their thoughts wow he knew what was in them how can we know what god is thinking someone might say you christians you say you know the heart and mind of god about this ethical issue and how you get to heaven how do you know god's thoughts how can you make such a claim? I'm spiritual. Someone might say, what makes your truth any better than my truth? And by the way, today, in today's world, it's just about your truth. If that's your truth, okay. <laughs> right? That, and that's how they have to say it. Your truth. Go to John 16 for a second. John 16. Jesus is giving what's called the uh, upper room discourse. So this is all a record of the night before he dies. John 16, 13. But when he, John 16, 13, Jesus speaking to the disciples, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth, John 16, 13, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, notice the personality of the Holy Spirit. He's not just a force, he's a person. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. The disciples were all concerned. Jesus said he was leaving. They didn't want to be alone. They had been with him three and a half years. He shall glorify me, John 16, 14, for he, the Holy Spirit, shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine, And he will what? He will disclose it to you. Now we know that in the process of the disciples recording the Holy Scriptures, it was via the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they were given help by the helper and he brought the truths to them and they wrote them down. This is how we have the inspiration of the Bible. So the primary reservoir, if you will, if you could go back to 1 Corinthians 2, by which those truths are recorded is in your Bible. How can I know God? How can I know the deep things of God unless I could somehow enter into His personality? I've never been to heaven. I've never seen God with my physical eyes. I was having a conversation with a friend and uh, I'd been working on him for a while and he had a, he's an engineer. And I said, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, what? I said, I know him and he knows me. And he was like, what are you talking about, Michael? You might want to go see a doctor or something. Are you hearing voices? (laughs) It was that kind of conversation. And I said, no, I have a personal relationship with the living God. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. He didn't get it. How do you explain that? It's true, the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I belong to God. I can't always explain it to satisfy somebody. You see, I cannot do that, but by His Spirit, God has entered into my personality. I can't enter into His, per se, but He's come down and entered into mine. And through the Holy Spirit, each believer becomes a sharer in the very life of God. This means that God is not detached from His creation. God sent His Son, and the Son sent the Spirit. God does care about mankind. He does love us. We are elevated above animal life and so forth. We are made in the image of God. And Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send you the Helper. He's the Spirit of what? Truth. He will guide you into all truth. Even as a Christian, sometimes we have the truths of God. We're growing And then we go back and stick our hand in the forbidden cookie jar. You ever been there before? It used to be that I could go and sin, and I could sin the next day, and I just have the cookie the next day. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. But now, when I try to do that as a Christian, it's (laughs) there's there's something that happens. I'm not sure if it's a oing, but it's a it's a conviction. I feel convicted when I want to go back and sin. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And it's beyond your conscience. It's more like, don't do that. You know better. C.S. Lewis contrasted the, difference, the different qualities of life for the different types of living things. Plant life, animal life, human biological life. He says that all three respond to certain kind of stimuli, but... They have different ranges of sensations. A plant will respond to the sun through the activity of photosynthesis. But an animal has the ability to experience the five senses of seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, and touching. Our pets have such ability, and their their qualitative sense perception will be greater than that of a plant. For human biological life, Lewis went on to say, sense awareness is heightened even more the quality of life that an average human being will experience is greater than that of an animal. In other words, the quality of life is radically different because a human person is able to experience certain realities that an animal cannot. Lewis then went on to say that there is another dimension of the quality of life. Spiritual life or eternal life is perceptively greater than mere naturalistic biological life. Similarly, Paul is saying that the understanding of this age can give an individual a certain amount of limited awareness, but only God can produce a supernatural spiritual work in a human heart. Now we, 1 Corinthians 2.12, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. That's 1 Corinthians we haven't been given the spirit of the world we've been given the spirit sent by God who's from God that we might what? that we might guess that we might wonder at that we might know God wants you to know you you have a non-Christian you're talking to them and you say I know when I die I'm going to heaven how can you know such a thing? who do you think you are? Well, I know that if the thousand-point thing was going on, I'd have about (laughs) ten, right? But here's what I know. I'm saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how I know. Grace is free. And the Holy Spirit is a link between God and humanity. In contrast to naturalistic understanding, the Bible presents a God who expands the borders of all understanding and comprehension. Do you want to be a deep person Do you want to have depth to who you are? Study your Bible. And you'll go deep. You'll be a deep person. You'll have deep wisdom because there's no deeper wisdom than the wisdom of God. Amen? Do you believe that? Who could be deeper? Nobody. Who could take you deeper? No one. Are you sick of shallow conversations? Are you tired of the same old, same old, God says, I'll take you deep, how deep you want to go? Because you will never exhaust the depths of God. I've been studying this Bible and teaching it for three decades. And I have wow moments all the time. Wow! <laughs> and, and I'm studying the 66 books of the Bible. Right? God is deep, and He wants you to go deep. But non Christians often find the Bible dull and irrelevant. <laughs> Have you ever talked to? Him, I tried picking up that Bible. I started in Leviticus in the Old King James version. <laughs> They're like, "That book, I don't know what the. I can't make heads or tails of the thing. Well, that's because you've been reading about heads and tails in Leviticus. <laughs> You might want to start with the Gospel of John. I had two conversations with people yesterday. I said, look, start in the Gospel of John. Read a chapter a day. It'll take you 10 minutes to read a chapter of the Bible. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I want to know you. And then read your Bible. You'll be amazed at what might happen to you. You might want to take some different colored highlighters and get ready because God is going to speak to you. You see, Christians find the Bible powerful and exciting because the spirit illuminates the bible to the believer and we discover the depths and truths of god and who he is he illuminates his word he illuminates his word to us which things we also speak look at 13 not in words taught by human wisdom but those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words some believe this is the exact meaning of the word here could be about people so it would refer to spiritual things given to spiritual people. If you have an ESV, it says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This would fit well with the context. Probably a case to be made to go either way. But a natural man, verse 14, does not accept, he does not receive or welcome the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Here's our word, because they are spiritually appraised, discerned why do you go to church every Sunday you're in a Bible study on Friday night dude really 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 why would you do such a thing why aren't you out partying with us the way you used to you remember when you used to wear the lampshade at the party there you were, you were the life of the party. Yeah, I know, it takes a lot to stand here. Click. (laughs) You see, they can't understand the value that you have placed on the deeper things of God because those things are spiritually appraised. They don't see the value. So they think it's a waste. Some even have a form of godliness but deny its power. But he who is spiritual, look at verse 15. On the other hand, appraises how many things? All things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. See the word appraise there? It's a word anacrino. It's a word that means to judge, distinguish, investigate, separate, look throughout, uh, to examine and to scrutinize carefully. The spiritual person, is able to appraise all things and to appraise them through the lens of Almighty God. Amen? So I look at life a lot differently than I did before. In fact, my whole life has been turned upside down. I never thought I would be doing this right here. (laughs) Never. I didn't grow up thinking, I'm going to be a preacher, that's my dream. But all of a sudden, once God got a hold of me, almost immediately after I became a Christian, I felt called to the ministry. People say, how did you know you were called? It was an undeniable tug almost from the moment I got saved. Because everything changed. Amen? Thank you for the amen. You see, the presence of the Spirit makes all the difference. And he helps me and you, us, to make proper judgments, not on some things, but all things. This is sweeping both to the secular and the sacred. As we grow in our knowledge of God's word, the Spirit makes us able to make moral, ethical convictions in every area of life with the mind of God and with the heart of God. Conversely, the unsaved person cannot understand you as a Christian because you live in two different worlds. That's why they don't get you. That's why you're... Non-Christian friends, after you get saved, they, you're kind of losing some connection there. Why? Because you can't talk on the same level. Because they don't have the Spirit of God, and you do. Verse 15 does not suggest that unsaved people cannot point out our flaws. That they can't at least make a, a proper assessment on us, but they, that the unsaved man cannot penetrate into the full understanding of what a Christian's life is all about. He cannot really make an accurate appraisal because he doesn't know spiritual things. It doesn't mean that Christians can't receive a rebuke or discipline because sometimes we don't walk in the Spirit and sometimes we need someone to come and point out to us, hey man, this is how you should be living. And it's very inconvenient when a non-Christian appraises a situation better than you. And that can happen sometimes if you're not walking in the Spirit. You can say, non-Christians famously say things like this to us. Hey, aren't Christians supposed to act differently than you're acting right now as you jump up and down? You mean you know a Bible verse? Yeah, they can quote some Bible verses to you at the most inopportune times. The person who has the Spirit of God can discern God's ways. Not necessarily all things, of course, but all things that pertain to the work of salvation. Matters formerly hidden in God but now revealed through the Spirit. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we, brothers and sisters, what do we have? We have the mind of Christ. Now I'm going to read Isaiah 40 because this is where this comes from. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice? And taught him knowledge and informed him in the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Here's what we need to do. We need to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. Then we will be able to understand and prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Let his word Transform your mind. Let it metamorphosize literally who you are and how you think. Now, we're coming to a time of communion, but I want to read a little bit from my notes before we close. The Spirit gives us eyes, ears, and imagination to know God, what God has prepared for us. We are born again. Our senses are opened up and deepened. Indeed, our mind is transformed to the beauty and depth of God, His plan for His people. When we see things, when the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to open the true world to us, this comes from God's work in us. When we are walking in the Spirit, when we have the mind of Christ, we are seeing everything through God's eyes, and it changes everything. Essentially, He allows us to appraise life from the perspective of His priorities, His truth, His beauty, what's really important, what's really valuable. He allows me to make proper appraisals about God, people, reality, eternity, the value I place on my life, how I live it for God and his glory. We have the mind of Christ. If we would live our lives according to the mind of Christ, we would radically affect this world. We would indeed change human history. Let's face it, says Ray Stedman, there are very few Christians who manifest the mind of Christ on a consistent basis. But it can be done as we submit to God, stay in his word in prayer, walk in the spirit, and walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you have the mind of Christ. It's available to you. The question is are, is, are you engaging it where it really matters? He wants you to see things the way he sees them. People, situations, how you react. How many times does Jesus blow your mind by how he reacts to a situation? It's like the exact opposite that everybody else is doing. And he does something loving or filled with justice or grace unexpected. And you go, wow, that's what he wants of us. And as we yield more to him, he gives us more of his mind and his heart. Father, thank you. We're out of time. Thank you for your word. It's so beautiful, so deep, so lovely. And as we come to your table, we want to have the mind of Jesus. We want to remember what he did for us his death on the cross, his resurrection, and we want to live in that reality. Lord, help us to be a focused people. Help us to stay grounded in the things of the Spirit. As we come to your table right now, I pray that those who don't know you would get saved in these very moments. If you're not a Christian, just something very simple. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know Jesus who died on the cross, pray it if it's you. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be born again to that living hope. Lord, I'm tired and I'm guilty, but I know you can change me from the inside out. I want to know what the life of the Spirit is about. I don't want to just play a religious game, pray it if it's you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want my life to be a living channel of your power of your grace, of your truth, of your love, of your light. Maybe you're a backslidden Christian. Maybe it's been years since you've been in a church and this is your time to get right, to rededicate your life. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been wayward. I've been lost. I've let the world's wisdom dictate my actions. I'm sorry. Change me. Give me your mind and your heart. I rededicate my life to you. If you're a Christian and you just want to go deeper, spend these moments as we have the elements before us to think on Jesus, to have his mind in you. Lord, we thank you as we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.